Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Tournament time is here. The SEC tournament tips off in about an hour. We've got that and more. Uh, Dane Bradshaw is going to join us, the head of the SEC tournament tip-off. He joins us in 20 minutes. Outkick 360 rolls on. Final hour is here from 6th and Peabody. is where we broadcast live from each and every day. Music City, Nashville, Tennessee, with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. The distillery and brewery right here on site with us, right in the heart of downtown Nashville. And uh, as we like to say, it's fairly easy to find 6th and Peabody. Paul? Peabody and 6th. That's it. That's where you can find us. It's also a great spot to find for March Madness coming up. Absolutely. The tournament. Best TV you can we, find. Uh, we're going to be here watching games. We're going to be here hosting the show, watching games. So, uh, great spot. Biggest indoor television in Nashville. And uh, it's crisp, crisp picture. And then multiple yeah. alternate televisions. Uh, fantastic place to watch. Also games. a huge outdoor TV. Yep. To match. Terrific. So come on down and, and watch games. And as please. I told you on the nice day, Hutton, was that last Friday? Spring yep. has sprung in Nashville, no matter if it got cold again or not. And it got cold. Yeah. It'll be snowing I in Nashville this, uh, on Friday. It's an annual ritual. I declare it, then I really sink to the depths when it gets cold again. One year I'm going to hit it. It truly is going to just stay warm. Hutton and I were so smart that we decided when it got to be 75 and sunny in Nashville, we'd take off for New York City where it was 24. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, well, let's go to the coldest place in the God's, country right now. God's country up there. Oh, yeah. It's, that's it exactly how reason, I It was reasonable yeah. in, uh, in Indianapolis for, for most of it. That, that city welcomed Hutton and I way better than Newark International welcomed me on Friday morning. I'll tell you that much. It'll so, spit you up and chew Miserable up place. Once again, if you didn't hear primary complaint, Newark Go International back. is the angriest place on the planet. It is awful. They just wanted him to push. You it can, was more than that. It was every. It was at all angles. I could not escape someone barking at everyone around me, not just did me. Did they allow you to eat your food? Because in Nashville, they didn't even allow you to eat your food at BNA. No, I, I didn't. Didn't, get, didn't have time for food. See? By, the time, I, they let you by eat. the time I learned how to work the contraption at, to get through security. At Newark, they let no you No time eat for your food. food. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if we were eating that early in the morning for our flights. Oh, oh I, I could have. Tough. I could have eaten my food in Nashville. I just would have missed my flight. What was I your wake so, up? What I was your done... wake up call in New York for flights out of JFK and Newark? Uh, five forty-five, six. Yeah, right around six. Yeah. Oh, your flight wasn't at seven then. It was eight thirty. I was oh, walking through there at seven to make sure I had enough time. Which, thank God I did that, because that contraption really held people <laughs> up. It did through security, something I've never seen before. Chad, if you missed the primary complaint and how the story ends with uh, standing ovation, you can go back on the podcast and download the audio wherever you download it's your worth podcast. It, guys, you know, I wouldn't call myself a hero, but uh, someone needed I, yeah, to stand up either. and be heroic on <laughs> that day and stand up to these miserable tyrants at the Newark International Airport. And I just happened to be that guy. And, you know, they, the people around me, they applauded. 
Harold Landry gets a five-year, $87.5 million contract. It includes $52.5 million guaranteed, uh, and it averages out to be $17.5 million per season, which the franchise tag would have been 18 this upcoming year. Um, they didn't place the tag on Landry at the deadline yesterday, and uh, a couple of hours later, news was reported from, I believe, Tom Pelissero of NFL.com that, in fact, they had uh, agreed to a long-term contract with their free agent-to-be. So he joins Bud Dupree, who made big money last year in the free agent market on the Titans front. Danico Autry uh, is under contract for a couple of more seasons. Jeffrey Simmons is about to reach a big payday as well. That front four, which was the core strength of their team, and why I was saying yesterday I was surprised they didn't tag the guy, I didn't think they wanted to lose him because that was the strength of their team that they could absolutely count on. And with Landry, you can. He hasn't missed a game in three years. He plays over 90% of those snaps and uh, is reliable, durable, and productive. And especially this year with that group, they now bring back that same group going into 2022, which they can now lean on as the heartbeat of their defense. Yeah, so we thought maybe, uh, you know, maybe they were close because they didn't tag him, but we th- we thought more likely, uh-oh, they're letting him go. They, they didn't think they'd drive up the price. He was worth you know? it and, um, and that they were going to say, well, you know what, we, we won the division with 19 sacks two years ago. We won the division in the AFC's number one seed with a dominant front four. We'll morph into something else. Turns out they did value that front four as much as we thought they should have. And quite frankly, they overpaid him here, which is what you often have to do with your own guy, homegrown talent. Five years, $87.5 million, the big number, $52.5 million guaranteed. Um, that's compared to Bud Dupree, who got five years, $82.5 million, $35 million guaranteed. So $35 million guaranteed for Dupree. $52.5 million guaranteed for Landry. What I was able to report last night, though, is that his cap number this year will be only slightly more than $5 million. So based on that franchise tag, 18.7, they saved 13.7 almost, which puts them in great shape. They're still seven over the cap, seven plus five. They're 12 over the cap. They're going to have to do a lot of work to get under the cap and to create room to make other moves. But it could have been a lot worse if they were dealing with the tag and had to negotiate beyond the 16th. So this is good work by John Robinson, at least for this year. Um, It's not a front-loaded deal. Usually you want a front-loaded deal. But in this situation, this is more of a go-for-it, part of a go-for-it thing where they're trying to do everything they can now and soon, sooner rather than later. And they're also counting on the cap to go up. It's 208. I found estimates that it'll go up $17 million next year is the anticipation you'll get more room later. And he's a solid player. And I, I was describing yesterday, solid player is not a knock here whenever I say he's not that elite edge rusher. But he, he was in a really good position because he's extremely valuable to what the Titans do. Uh, their collective group is the value. And the guy, if you want to knock him for improving with guys playing next to him, where were the rotational pieces and where were they improving? Derek Roberson doesn't even get a tender on the restricted free agent um, uh, note, the, the the line that he could have received. They didn't offer a, still a designation. Um, I thought the report was they're not going to. 
Oh, I hadn't seen that. Yeah, so that I, mean, I, mean, I have no problem with them not. There's an example of a player that has been a rotational piece that is just a guy, and Landry's more than that. And okay. and there there's the true value there. And he's one of your own. Um, it's cap friendly this year, which is huge because the cap's going to continue to go up with the TV money that's pouring into the league. And but this year, you you were strapped for it. Now you get your piece back that was your biggest free agent. And you're not having to pay a massive price for him in 2022. And Chad, who is this team? Now, now the first answer is it's a team that can get consistent pressure with four. Yeah. And I mean, look, they, I, I keep going back to the playoff game, but it was the front four and the ability to sack Joe Burrow over and over and over again that gave them a chance when they had no offense and they had terrible quarterback play. So if you're looking at what's something that can eliminate some mistakes or eliminate a lack of great play at a key position, it's the ability to affect the other quarterback. And that's the Titans' front four could do. So I am all for, if, you, if you're following the Titans, and you want them to quote-unquote run it back and win the division again, a big part of that is having that same combination of guys that can attack the, uh, the opponent's quarterback, and getting Landry back is a big piece with that. I, this was... This was a big move for the Titans late last night. They face Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, and Dak Prescott next year, plus whoever uh, the Colts get at quarterback. Uh, you, you got a main feature of your team, being able to harass those guys on a regular basis without additional help is a, an awfully good feature. If you're overpaying, overpay for your own guy who you've brought up and who's done everything you've asked of him. Uh, Harold Landry fits that bill. This is a good deal. Well, now uh, Ben Jones becomes the priority for them uh, right after Landry. Unless they're they're drafting a a a center. center. And the question is, you know, look, Ben Jones has been a really solid, tough player for them, but he's not as good as he used to be. He's about to turn 33. They love him, but do they think they need to get better there? I think, uh, you know, we don't know that yet. I think he's crucial for their front on the opposite side. I think he's just as important as Harold Landry. I think he's very important, too. I could see a scenario, though, where they decide they've got to get younger on that line. Um, So we'll see. And also, um, cheaper. He's not super expensive. He made about $6 million. uh, Would get about the same, I think. Um, Saffold's a guy that we've talked about in, in consideration there. They're going to have to make moves to get cheaper. And the other thing um, I didn't have a full handle on, but do now, I've talked about Julio Jones being able to save them $9.6 million as a June 1st designee. The thing is, if you cut a guy as a June 1st designee, you can cut him early and say he, he's a June 1st. You can cut two guys and call them a June 1st cut. You don't save that money. I was under the mistaken impression you saved it immediately. You don't save it until June 1st. So they can't get the help on the salary cap savings that they need next Wednesday, a week from today, a week from 10 minutes ago. Um, They can't get the help with Julio Jones until June 1st, at which point, Hutton, you're talking about contingency money or a late free agency signing like he was in a trade or Jadavian Clowney was the year before, yep. or when somebody breaks his leg and you need help, or all of those things. But he's not going to help them get under the cap or go sign a big, high, uh, moderately priced tight end or anything like that. Unfortunately, the structure of his deal doesn't allow for that, which is 
A bummer. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. Um, among the other uh, Titans news and notes, it uh, doesn't appear that their backup quarterback is going to change, Paul. Uh, they've signed a couple of players to a one-year contract today. Well, these, they, they don't tender guys for some reason. They just uh, they sign them to contracts. So they had three exclusive rights free agents who couldn't have gone anywhere else um, in Tier Tart, Nick Westbrook, Akina, and Logan Woodside. Woodside's, uh, I don't think they were ever going to let him go. They're going to have somebody else in, hopefully, to compete with him. But Tart and Nick Westbrook-Akina, no-brainers to have back and let continue to expand on, on the good work they did in, in their roles. Logan Woodside, I think we all hope they would have somebody to try to force him into a number three or practice squad role if the practice squad continues on as it has the last couple of years where it's bigger and you could have a guy with a little bit more experience on it. That would be ideal for him. Everybody wants a second quarterback on this team that could be more of a security blanket for, for Tannehill. Though, yes. you know, Tannehill was at the, at the helm for 12 wins. He played some very bad games. He wouldn't have been in position to get benched during last year's regular season. His problem was the playoff catastrophe. Yeah, and everyone wants to reference his great numbers over the last couple of seasons, and that's fine. Let's talk postseason. Yep. That, that's that's what's that's what John Robinson's crying about at the combine. It's not the twelve wins, um, it's the postseason losses, and it's on the quarterback, like it or not. And, and in the big moments, he hasn't played well in the postseason. I I I hope that they address it in the draft or in free agency where they bring someone in. And I'm not looking for competition for Logan Woodside. I'm beyond that. This is about having someone that's capable of going in and winning games and uh, uh, taking a step forward whenever Tannehill takes a step back, when you need a big play. There will be... A big throw. When he's throwing three picks in a game, he's throwing it right to guys. He's either got it or he doesn't. And that, now, that's, yeah, my, it, that's my thing. Like I, it's just not a... It has not been a consistent big moment type player in the postseason. And I know they're running it back with him. And contractually, they, they've got to with the way the money works out. But... You know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and regurgitate what they said at the Combine just because they said it. He has been uh, very easy to read. We discussed this all last season. You can tell the days that he doesn't have it very quickly. Yes. He plays very poorly out of the gate. Now, them getting to the point where they'd, A, have an alternative, and B, pull the plug on Tannehill early in the game where he's clearly on a don't-have-it day, that, those are big steps for any NFL team. Unfortunately, it doesn't generally work that way. But it's not hard to read Ryan Tannehill if he is good or bad on a given Sunday. You can usually tell in the first five minutes in the first two series of the Titans offense. There will be a sense of dread going into the playoffs next year for this Titans team with the fan base that we have not seen before. Typical excitement going into the playoffs, there will be a sense of dread. And this team's going to get to the playoffs. Well, there, I don't know. Ba- it- ba- barring disaster, which we can say yes. about any team yes. with – you know, injury to Derrick Henry and quarterback and someone else. This is a playoff team. Yeah, there's very Again, little mystery year. about this, this whole team. team up until January, I think, unless something goes, you know, I agree. fatally wrong. So we're, it, it, they, their season starts in January. And that's, yeah, that, that's exactly right. And it's, it's no different. You know, Green I, Bay is kind of in a similar spot, uh, much ab- better. No doubt. I mean, the Titans are in a good position, but 
a good position to be in position once the postseason starts. What a, what a, here's, here's how I describe the quarterback spot, and we can expand on this later in the offseason. Um, I know now that if Todd Downey's not good, Tim Kelly's the guy. He's the offensive coordinator. I want the Tim Kelly version of quarterback to Ryan Tannehill because I'm not a fan of Todd Downing calling plays and I'm not a fan of playoff Tannehill. And you've got to have options there if you're going to strike while the iron's hot, while the door's open, and while the window of opportunity is there. That's why Robinson and Vrabel are so upset with what has happened. They made it to the AFC Championship game and then bowed out in the playoffs at home back-to-back seasons when things are going really well. Coming off 2020 season, Paul, where they're setting all kinds of offensive records. And then the quarterback can't step up in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And, and they're shutting down Henry in the postseason. What's next? Who is Tannehill capable of carrying that, that offense whenever Henry's being shut down, which has happened the last two playoff games? I think given your desire, I would say that the best you're going to get, this is me forecasting, is Desmond Ritter. Well, it can be Ritter. It can be uh, you know a Bridgewater type. That I mean, I'm I'm saying like a one year bet on bet on himself type guy. Um, I think Bridgewater I'm not throwing will, in the towel on a veteran better. veteran type guy. There's a lot of different veterans out there though. They're just floating out there. There's not. I'm not saying it's a great option for starting week one. Tannehill's going to start week one. What no one's telling you is he's finishing the season. And he's he's you know being carried off on a you know on the backs of on the shoulders of his offensive line as they win the Super Bowl. No one's no one's saying that. No, but the trouble this is coming from a guy that predicted them to win the Super Bowl in August. The trouble is he'll play well enough during the regular season. Well enough. Well, that, they, that's the that's the that's the awkwardness. The trouble is they it. couldn't get a deal done with anyone else, and his contract is not in their favor. That's right. I mean, they know. They're not get, he's not going to fool them by making some plays in the regular season. Deep down, they know what they have. Next year. And they, got, they just got to hope year, for they, better. They got to get out. Next year, the scenario yeah. is much different for his, the, the money and the cap hit. Yeah, next year, you year. swallow the 18.8, yeah, which is my, roughly how much the cap will go up. My point being, So next Paul, year, the Titans have the same cap they have this year, and they can get out of town. My point being, Paul, no level of regular season play mixed with a first-round playoff exit because he's not good is going to for fool sure. the Titans. For sure. Going into next offseason. For sure. It, it shouldn't. Sure as hell shouldn't. Hit us up on Twitter at OutKick360. Coming up, Dane Bradshaw joins us from Tampa. Looking forward to our SEC chat with the Tennessee legend and SEC network analyst next on OutKick360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. St. Bradshaw about to join us. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. With Chad Withrow and Paul Kaharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Um, Some solid reporting from The Athletic on the Colts and the trade uh, for Wentz to Washington where there, there are reports out now that 
Wentz, after the season, wanted to meet with Jim Ursay, and Ursay declined. He wanted to clear the air, quote-unquote, with Ursay, and Ursay declined. Now, since then, um, news is out that uh, Ursay was out of town, and that's why he couldn't clear the air with, with Carson Wentz. I find it interesting that no one's pointing out that Jim Ursay also called in his general manager and head coach immediately after the Jacksonville game because the man was in town. So, and Wentz would have been cleaning out his locker or whatever they were doing a day or two after the, the season ended in Jacksonville. Um, Ursay was leading the charge. The report is also that Frank Reich uh, profusely apologized to Jim Ursay in that meeting for recommending Carson Wentz. And that there were questions about Wentz well before the two-game failure at the end of the season pertaining to leadership, uh, well, see, resistance to so hard coaching, this is where stuff like that. How does Reich not know that stuff? Exactly. And so for all the ripping of Carson Wentz that's, being taken, that's taking place today, Frank Reich's the one who brought him in and vouched for him and would have coached him previously and would have known all these things. Yeah, Ballard's in better shape than Reich. I, I mean, Ballard took Reich's recommendation, so he's a failure for that. But it's Reich who stood up for this guy. Dane Bradshaw in Tampa as we get set for the SEC tournament, uh, the Tennessee VFL, and, of course, the SEC Network analyst joins us. Dane, hope you're doing well. We appreciate the time, man. If, if, um, if on Sunday evening we chat on the show together and I say, hey, Tennessee's the SEC tournament champion, are you going to be shocked? No, because of the law of averages. I mean, at some point, they have to break through one of these dang things. Uh, I've been part of it myself. We, we are very guilty of overpacking at these tournaments. And uh, <laughs> and, uh, and and so it's uh, – and look, uh, the top four teams have separated themselves this year, but I don't think any of them are scared of one another. I, I'm most intrigued at the uh, neutral court environment uh, because – Look, when Tennessee wins in front of a checkerboard crowd, that's great, but it's hard to buy in more to Tennessee with that type of home court advantage. At the same time, it's hard to sell on Arkansas for losing an environment like that. And the same can be true for Auburn and Kentucky and others, and Tennessee for that matter, if they go on the road and lose at Arkansas. So the home court advantage has been stronger than I've, than I've ever seen it. Uh, it's not some hot take. I mean, what is it, 65-1 and one for those top four teams this year? So – um, I, I'm, I'm excited to see this neutral report and with it being in Tampa, other relevant teams, maybe it's not the Kentucky invitational, even though there'll be a lot of blue, but maybe it won't be just the majority of, of, uh, them chanting go big blue and, and all of a sudden becoming a home court. What's the atmosphere like in Tampa for this event? You know, we were talking about, it, and we know exactly what it looked like if it was a block away from us at Bridgestone arena in Nashville. What is Tampa like as a, as a host city? What's that venue like? in terms of fans so far so good um you know first games are tonight but as i went through the shoot arounds the coaches seem to be happy the facilities are good our production crew they've got right outside right over my shoulder they've got um little courtyard area out front uh before you walk into the stadium where uh the fine bomb show is, is being recorded and they've got all the kind of the outdoor uh kind of beer garden feel look and games and that sort of thing so um, again, with this being the, the Wednesday night games that haven't tipped off yet, you, know, you hadn't got a chance to see that, that support. There are some challenges just because of the location. I mean, gas prices, you know, the average family that was maybe planning on making this trip 
you know, that might be $400 of gas just getting back yeah. and forth. And so, um, plus the, these fans have done their part uh, you know, when they say, all right, I'm anxious for the SEC tournament, but I don't know if it can be any better than uh, the sellout we had against Auburn or whatever it is. And they might just wait until the NCAA tournament because there's really not any bubble teams other than Florida and Texas A&M that um, would have to do some, some serious damage. Scotty Pippen in action with Vanderbilt tonight against Georgia. How expert is he at drawing fouls? How expert is he at uh, selling fouls? How much are the refs eager to blow a whistle for a son of a top former NBA player? Because uh, he's out of whack, obviously, with the rest of the league, the rest of the country. Well, he, he gets uh, the defender sped up. He, he plays at his pace. Nobody else does. And uh, oftentimes he'll get in the lane. I mean, when, when he jumps off one foot in the lane, he's going at the rim trying to score. When he goes off two feet, that's usually him going to go in there and throw his body into yours and just try to draw a foul. And he's just really good at it. And then, the, you know, and the, the head bob that they're trying to take away, when you get bumped, you bob your head back to try to sell the foul. You know, that's something they're trying to eliminate. But, you know, he sells it so well. Um, and, you know, his pump fakes, all these say Every time I've been to a shoot-around where they're going up against Vanderbilt, they talk about, Got to stay down on Pippen's pump fakes. Got to hold him to five or less free throw attempts. And nobody seems to be able to do it. And so he's he's been really good. He really has. And um, I do think the reputation precedes him. And that's, that's a good thing. Jalen Williams is a kid for Arkansas. They get a lot of charge calls because he's known for being in a really good defensive position. Are they always charges? No. Um, but he gets a lot of calls. Grant Williams for Tennessee years ago, not years, but a few years ago, he got a good whistle. Uh, he, he earned that reputation. Uh, but I, I am curious to see how that plays out here in Tampa when you know these coaches have called the league office and said, hey, we're calling everything for this kid. And it's not just one coach complaining. It's going to be a bunch of them. And, uh, and the same thing for, again, Jalen Williams at Arkansas. You saw it at Tennessee. He had his second foul of the game was a block charge that when it was at Arkansas, they gave him that whistle, but I think the refs knew ahead of time to, to not always give the benefit of the doubt. Dane, we may be a few hours away from Tom Crean's final game as, as Georgia head coach. Reports are already out that he's done uh, whenever their SEC tournament run ends. What do you think overall about that Georgia basketball program and what needs to be done? And a couple of guys you know in Steve Forbes getting mentioned for that job as well as Rob Lanier – right down the road at Georgia State, who, who coached for Coach Barnes in Knoxville. So overall, what do you think about the direction of that program and where they need to head? It's perplexing because all these other football schools have shown the ability to have success in basketball. And you just wonder why you can't put it together there. And it's not due to lack of fan interest. The fans were good for Tom Crane. Even when they weren't winning, they were having good crowds there during the rebuild. And he, he was marketable. He did a good job with that, um, but they could never get the pieces all to come together. And um, I don't think nobody's scared to go into Atlanta and get a kid out of Georgia's backyard. The Auburn's not scared to go in there. Alabama's not. Tennessee's not. It's not like Memphis. Like Memphis and Penny Hardaway, whatever you think about them, people don't like their chances going in and getting a Memphis kid. You almost don't even recruit there because you know if Memphis wants them, they got them. If Georgia wants an Atlanta kid, you're like, okay, so what? We'll beat them out. And so uh, there, there has to be an ace recruiter 
and not that that's your only hot spot, but it's protecting your backyard. Eric Musselman's done great at Arkansas. They protected their backyard in Little Rock with some big time recruits, and um, and the same opportunities there for Georgia. I, if it was a few years ago, Steve Forge would have jumped all over. He's already built what he wanted to do at Wake Forest, the ACC. There's a changing of the guard there. All of a sudden, it's easier to win now in the ACC than it is the SEC. Who would have said that? You know, five years ago. Um, Plus, Bayheim, Leonard Hamilton, these guys, they're not going to be around much longer either. So the ACC is going to be really interesting to watch. Um, Jonas Hayes, uh, assistant at Xavier, uh, has, uh, he's a great recruiter, a former Bulldog. His name's getting thrown out there a lot. And, yeah, he doesn't have the head coaching experience, but if you're a Bulldog fan, you're like, you know what? The hell with it. Well, let's try one of our own guys. We tried the proven head coach before, and it hadn't worked too well. So let's get one of our old guys in here. Let him hire some Big time assistant coach. That's great X's and O's wise. Let's get the players and and get this thing on track. Dane Bradshaw with us on Outkick three sixty. Of all the the top four teams, Dane, I'm most impressed with Kentucky. You know, twenty five and five after their season opening loss to Duke. Uh, but the thing that impresses me, and and, and I, you follow them more closely, um, when when they get down, they go on these NBA like runs during games where they can, they can catch up and they can catch up in a fast way, unlike the other teams at the top of the SEC, at least how I would compare them to the others. Where's the Wildcats' weakness? How, how does a team get them this week in Tampa? Um, I think a lot of it's really their health. They've been fragile. When they're all playing together, I think Kentucky's the best team in the SEC. Right now, I think they're the best team in the SEC. They've got good point guard play. They have a guy that can break you down one-on-one in tight, tight Washington. They have a shooter in Kellen Grady. They've got the National Player of the Year in Oscar Sheedley. They've got a complimentary four-man who excels in his role in Keon Brooks. And they got guys coming off the bench that bring energy and shot-making ability. And, and they're stars in their role. Furthermore, you know, Coach Cal's teams used to be great when they would have one or two upperclassmen to help complement all the freshmen. Now they've got great upperclassmen with one or two freshmen to complement. And, and Coach Cal's coaching ball instead of raising kids and you can tell how much fun he's having with them um but look are they a little bit injury prone is the question i have you know is is sabir wheeler going to take a tough blow and be out for 20 minutes is ty ty washington going to re-injure the ankle and you certainly hope that's not the case but because of some of that inconsistent health you you wonder if that ultimately will will creep up again and that's just more bad luck than than much of uh, of an analyst perspective but if they stay healthy I would pick Kentucky over any other team in the SEC. Dane, I think I know – I think you'll know where I'm going with this when I talk about Arkansas. I watch Arkansas, and I think they are just that team right now. I watch that comeback in Knoxville on Saturday, and Tennessee holds on and wins. But I'm thinking Arkansas is just that team. They're down 22 at halftime, and they've got multiple chances to take the lead or tie the game. What is the value of being, quote-unquote, that team this time of year? They, boy, do they have the confidence. Um, and they look, they, they have a star power in J.D. Note, a guy that can win his matchup. You can put the ball in his hands. Uh, defensively, they, they are great. And their scouting reports, uh, they're, they're huge on personnel. Not that other teams aren't. But when things break down, every single player on that team knows, hey, we got to make Vescovy go, go to his right hand, and, and here's how much we're going to shade him that way or give Chandler a step or he's going to blow by you, uh, make him beat you from three, even though he did, but you, you, you play your averages there. And, um, and they, 
They don't have any quit in them. Um, they do have an interesting injury situation, though. Audis Tony, a guy you guys might not even heard of, but Audis Tony is an unsung hero for that lineup. They have a very short rotation, really only play seven guys. Tony's the type of guy, like at Fayetteville, he was the one that really shut down Vescovy. And he's got great length on the perimeter. And that's a team, if you say, what's their weakness? It's their lack of depth. And they want to play guys 35-plus minutes a game. And when one of those pieces is out, um, they don't they don't necessarily have the talent level like Kentucky to make up for it. And, and so, um, what, to me, it's one of those, again, what's the worst-case scenario? J.D. Note has an off night. Jalen Williams gets called for two blocks in the first half. That's a likely scenario. Doesn't mean it's a high percentage chance, but you could see that happening. And uh, and so uh, I'm anxious to see Arkansas on this neutral report. Um, again, I'm sorry for that to be my theme, but man, um, they've been so good at home. And see what they got at the SEC tournament. So the top four seeds plug in very nicely. Who's the team most likely to screw things up for one of those four? Uh, I think. You know, Florida and A&M have the most to gain, but I really think LSU um, LSU is healthy now. Their defense is is phenomenal. I mean, it, especially when they have Xavier Pinson in, but they've gone through the uh, lumps and bruises. Look, they just came out with the notice of allegations or whatever it was on Will Wade. That doesn't distract them. I mean, that program's so used to that stuff. It doesn't distract them for a minute. And so, um, and, and I think, you know, they could – they can win that game. They uh, they'll they'll win their first game, and then they would have Arkansas, and they had they had Arkansas down the wire on Arkansas's home court. They lost by you know on a missed layup towards the end, so they can win that game. Then you you got Auburn, who has shown to be vulnerable too. And so I wouldn't be shocked if if LSU uh, ended, ended up being in the championship game. I don't think they'll win. I think the winners coming out of the Kentucky Tennessee uh, side of things. Whoever can win that semifinal. Um, assuming there's chalk along the way, and that's always a bad assumption, but um, that's what I see. What does Florida need to do, Dane, in order to make the tournament? What what type of run do they need to go on now? Uh, gosh, I think you got to, you know, you. I don't know for sure if this Texas A&M game would be a quad one win or not, but they'd have A&M, that's a quad one. Then you got Auburn, that would be a quad one. And then you figure Arkansas, LSU, that's a quad one. So now all of a sudden you got three quad ones. I don't think you've got to win the SEC title, but if you get there and you have a season sweep of Auburn, um, who at worst is a two-seed, your resume is serious at that point. And I, I don't know how much they'll get the benefit of the doubt. Florida really struggled when Colin Castleton was out. They're a different team when he's in. Um, and I just don't know how much uh, forgiveness the committee gives on, on that type of situation, but it's, it's been significant for for Florida, and they've got a chance. They got to get past a very feisty A and M team right now. That's probably um, one of the more intriguing matchups tomorrow. The eight nine game of two teams that have had a roller coaster season, but but playing for something. When you look at Tennessee, not just in this tournament, but moving forward with the NCAA tournament, Kennedy Chandler. You talked about him earlier, Dane. You said personnel wise, Arkansas was playing him to do one thing, maybe playing off a little bit, and Chandler started taking the three, and he hit a bunch of threes in that game. How much of his process this year has been figuring things out to that extent? If a defense is doing this to me, I need to do this. If they're collapsing when I drive, I need to do this. Because to me, in the last month and a half, you've seen a different Kennedy Chandler in just the confidence of knowing what to do in tough moments. Have you seen that development with him as well? 
Absolutely. And there's been times they don't like to play guys over 30 minutes a game, but there's been times where, where Chandler has had to stay on the court longer than, than expected. Um, he'll still have some defensive breakdowns, but um, life has been made easier for him because Ziegler and Vescovy, they all complement one another. I mean, you think about Vescovy, he's not at his best when he's got to be the primary ball handler, but he can handle the ball. Ziegler and Chandler allow him to do his thing running off screens. The guy you know, runs five miles a game, literally, compared to the teammates who are about three and a half miles a game. They track it. And, and then Ziegler, um, look, if, if, he, if he had to carry this whole team as a freshman and couldn't fly under the radar, maybe the results aren't the same. Chandler's benefited by being able to be off the ball some and not have to bring it up the court every time, have Barnes yelling at him. He can play through some mistakes because Barnes knows Ziegler can be out there with him. And you know, making those three-point shots to keep the defense honest has been huge, and, and that's on Chandler. Um, but in terms of getting him downhill with that speed, Barnes and his staff have been really good, whether it's off the bounce or they do kind of like in their weave action, they toss it back to him. It's kind of like a toss sweep. Like, hey, we're going to toss it back to you, let you get a running start against the defense or, or middle linebacker and bet that there's no way he can slide in front of you. You get all the way to the rim. And, and his speed is just so good, you almost have to guess if he's going right or left if you want to try to get in front of him. Dane, you've been coming on our show for years. Isn't it great to preview a tournament? And, and we've been doing this for a couple of years now. Preview a tournament with so many options for the ending instead of knowing the script before we even tip off this thing? Uh, no question, man. It was, uh, again, we were, when I started with the network in 2014, we were, we were at this tournament like just hoping that the third team didn't screw up their bubble chances and we were left with two teams in an NCAA tournament. Now, I mean, now it's must-see TV and you and, uh, you got four teams capable of a championship and, um, and then five and six aren't a slouch either. And then, of course, the others that are trying to work their way in. So uh, I applaud Greg Sankey and, and the entire conference. It's been a lot of fun. Dane will have great coverage on SEC Network. All the games today and tomorrow on SEC Network, a couple on Friday as well, including Tennessee's matchup against either South Carolina or Mississippi State. Dane, appreciate you, man. Always great analysis. We enjoy your work. Thanks. Thank, thank you, guys. Chad, sorry I was a few minutes late, man. I'll run some sprints for you. Yeah, please do. <laughs> you, you need to get out there and work out. That, quick sprints. that court's right behind you, Dane. Be you get out there and do some sprints <laughs> for us for being late. Thanks, buddy. No uh, problem. Stretch the hammies. Thanks, guys. All right, Dane Bradshaw there. Um, or you could just send him to the, the layup line like Chad's coach did. I don't know why I always think about that, but I love that well, The punishment. women's tournament's over. I, I love that punishment. I think I've told Dane that story, and he loved it too. <laughs> he, uh, he, got a, he got a nice laugh out of it. Chad, and then Chad's like, yeah, well. I think it, Dane already knows. We don't need to tell it again. Yeah. I think Dane's favorite part is when I just blocked the shot of Stacey Shell well, repeatedly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Over just and over out of anger. Get it out of here. No mercy. <laughs> Chad will not let you win. You must beat Chad. No mercy. If you if you win, you know, you, you did something. It's not because I let you. You won fair and square. Nothing I can say about it. And uh, I'll we, shake your hand, too. Even some of the best uh, in, in women's basketball found out the hard way at the semi-pro league or whatever it was, Chad. They did indeed. That's right. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. I don't want to say too much with International Women's Day just yesterday. Oh, well. But, yeah, you know. Things happen. <laughs> the give, spirit, it some, give it some distance. In the spirit of competition, things happen. <laughs> uh, if someone tries to post up Chad, and uh, the ball ends up in the in the rafters. There were two deck, two levels at Mount Jude High School. A lower level of bleachers that would and the you know, roll out. Let me an guess. Upper level. Upper, lower and, and upper. Some of those weak hook shots were put in that upper deck. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. They were to some some manager had to go run up the stairs to go get that ball that was hovering somewhere up in the upper deck. Two levels. 
Two Hit levels. us up on Twitter levels. at Outkick360. We wrap up like what's been a fast-paced show with the very latest news of the day like next on Outkick360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Wrapping up what's been a fast show, hopefully it was for you as well. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Uh, so uh, this from Ken Rosenthal, Major League Baseball has given the Players Association another deadline. This all coming from the Athletic. Deadline spur action. One of these is finally going to work. These deadlines lead to more deadlines. Is this the All Star break deadline? <laughs> if you if you don't get something done by next week, you're not going to play before the All Star break. What's so, what's the next one? Uh, if the union declines to pick one of the three options regarding the international draft, the league believes there is nothing else to discuss. But the union claims that you were you being the Major League Baseball, they were going to return with a counter for everything, not just this one piece. So they don't want to give an answer on this one piece until they have a position on the all-encompassing CBA. So the show goes on, and so does the the lockout. There you go. There's the latest with Major League Baseball. I, I love that it's just. If you Fun don't stuff. accept this, one of these three options we've laid out, there is nothing else to be discussed. But if just on the draft, to, just on the international yeah, draft in this case. I, I mean, but if you continue to play, and I guess I see their point a little bit, like we're giving you three different options. We've got to pick one of these and move on to get on to the other yeah. stuff so we can finalize this. But it's just, if you play that hand more than once, you've played it too much. If my hand is final offer, if you don't <laughs> accept this or get back to me with or don't respond to it, then we are done. Yeah. You do that once, that's all you can do. The next time you do it, it gets a little light, and people don't really care. Hey, how about this? This is a, a text that I just saw from Pat Forty. I mentioned Oregon State's collapse from last year to this, because mm-hmm. a year ago at this time, we were watching them beat Tennessee in the first round of the NCAA tournament. They went four games this year? They went to the Elite Eight, by the way, from that. Uh, tweet from Pat Forty. Second Pac-12 game in this tournament. Oregon State wasting no time finalizing one of the biggest collapses in college basketball history. From the Elite Eight last year to 3-27 this year, soon to be 3-28. Beavers trail Oregon 11-0 out of the gate. (laughs) It is so difficult for a Power 5 conference team to win only three games. Yes, They are scheduling Division II teams at times in the non-conference. Georgia's better. Georgia's light years better. I mean, Georgia won from seven or eight. Or three Georgia ago. more than doubled them up in wins. Vanderbilt from three years ago? Bryce Drew's Vanderbilt oh. team would house this Oregon State <laughs> team. The one that went winless. That's a matchup they, they would have loved to have had. We just saw Oregon State go on a run and get to the Elite Eight and look great in doing so. And they went three, they're going to go three and 28. I lost so much on that Oregon State Tennessee game last year. I was so dead set on the balls. Progressing you past that game. That, a bunch of uh, different directions. Paul, you've been digging through uh, history of uh, family lineage. I don't even know who I am anymore, to be honest with you. So I gave uh, my parents these books in 2012, a grandmother and grandfather book to kind of fill out questions as if they were for Simon. 
um, and I've been digging for these to no avail until yesterday I finally found them because my dad can't really convey anything to us anymore. And I know the town his dad was from is technically in Ukraine, not Russia. So why are we Russian and not Ukrainian? And so I wanted confirmation of this. The first, the second question in the book is, Grandpa, tell me about your grandparents. And my mom transcribed this for him. Unfortunately, I didn't get to know my grandparents on my father's side. They remained in the Ukraine. And by the time we may have visited, they were deceased. And then in, an, in another page, his father, Andrew S., birthplace, southern Ukraine, Russia, 1890. So I don't even know who I am anymore. <laughs> and I can't ask him why. I mean, you... Ukraine was a state of Russia all this time, but why did he never refer to us being of Ukrainian descent instead of Russian? And I can't ask him, and there's no relatives that I can ask. Well, Ukraine exists, so you're Ukrainian. Example, Francois von Schmidow is Prussian, which no longer exists. <laughs> right. And that was a fiefdom of Germany. My oh, mother is also of, my mother yes. is also Russian, Prussian, at the top Prussian of the descent. List. He's got which is kind of Austria, Austria-Hungary, <laughs> Prussia. Is Austrian, yeah. Austria-Hungarian? Austria, Austria there, there was the Austria-Hungary Empire. Which was Prussia. I, I want to say that Prussia was a part of Germany. But maybe it was a part of that empire also. I think my mother has roots there as well. Anyway, I'm going to continue to investigate, but I don't I, know who to ask. I'm leaning towards your Ukrainian right now, based on this new info. I may have to go fight. Which really resets the way I think about you completely. I don't know if it's good or bad. I, I just I've always thought of you as Russian. And go fight for my people. And not Ukrainian. <laughs> it's Paul and the Klitschkos side <laughs> by side. I'm a, That's I'm a, a beautiful visual. <laughs> I'm more of a verbal jouster than a fighter. Paul's, Paul's taking out Hezbollah right next week. He's going, he's going to fight Hezbollah. Hey, I've got this guy. <laughs> my money's on Hezbollah. <laughs> Back at for, it tomorrow. Thanks for your support. Uh, don't block the box. Do lock the locks. <laughs>